Your comments and questions will be greatly appreciated. Permission is given to record and copy the entire message. And now, here is Richard Bennett. This evening I wish to address the apparent normality of Catholicism, that it can look to be quite normal. The Catholic Church believes in one God that is self-existent, the one God in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that this one God is the creator and maker of heaven and earth and of mankind. That this one God in three persons is the one who made man in his own image and that mankind fell by disobedience, the sin of Adam, and so each one is born dead in trespasses and sins. And Catholicism teaches that Christ Jesus came into the world, was incarnate, born of the Virgin Mary, and he lived the perfect life, and he died a sacrificial death for the sins of mankind. So you wonder what is wrong with Catholicism. And that is what I wish to discuss with you and to discuss with a care and a longing to know so that we can really speak the truth in love. It was all of my background. I was a Catholic for 48 years. That's a long, long time. Uh, 30 of those years was in the Dominican order, and I was 22 years altogether a priest. So I served with devotion in that system, with an ardor, a devotion, and a great zeal to bring people to the sacraments and to do all that was expected in Catholicism. I lived a very sacrificial life, even flagellating myself when I was preparing for the priesthood, taking cold showers in the dead of winter, that souls could be saved when they died and at least go to purgatory and then go to heaven. I really lived Catholicism to the hilt. But there was always something, a sense of the abnormal. Like, for example, when I was a student and I would want to talk about religious things and uh, what I was desiring to do and I would share with other students, I was told very upfront, we do not talk shop. This is our business that we're in and we don't talk shop. And I accepted that, and, but it was a little bit difficult. When I became a priest, I found it was the same. And uh, in my years 
after a serious accident where I really began digging in the scriptures, I, um, I really wanted to share what I was getting into in the Word of God. And I would meet with a chilling silence when I spoke to priests and nuns. And I thought it might be different. I went as a priest in that time. When I was in holidays, I went to Amsterdam in Holland. And I said, instead of staying with the Dominicans, let me stay with the Jesuits. I'm sure that they are more open. And two Jesuit priests came to the airport in a Volkswagen uh, car, and they took me back to the Jesuit house, and we had a lovely meal, and we were in cordial conversation. And then I began to explain about my search in the scriptures, to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And the same chilling silence. It was over. And that was difficult. That was really difficult. I have put together a book of 50 former priests and of another book of 20 former nuns. And I found that in talking with priests and nuns, or people who were priests and nuns, the same thing. In nuns' convents, you could talk about anything. You could even have some sort of shady joke but if you ventured to reveal your heart to another sister and things about the Lord, there was this hands-off. We don't get in there. This is not what we do. And this is altogether different. Since I've become a believer, I have found a, a radiance with believers and a joy to share the things of the Lord. Like last year, I was in Poland, my own Ireland, and in London, and the times we had a fellowship with believers, it was just wonderful. People revealing how the Lord is so exuberant in His grace, how really is in His discipline of us when He corrects us, you know, how He answers prayer at times when He seems to be distant, the reason for it, and we just love sharing with one another. And I think that is a great joy when I traveled. 800 miles across Ireland last year. It was the same in all the towns when I met with believers. They just wanted to reveal who the Lord was to them and how they were walking with the Lord. This is the normal Christian life. And that is so missing from Catholicism. But this is on the level of experience. What is behind the experience? That's what I want to get to analyze what is behind the experience. Why is Catholicism not normal? Now, the aspect of Catholicism where it is most abnormal is in the application of Christ's redemption to the believers. Sin is utterly serious. Why? Because God is all holy. And as the all-holy God, there is no slight or small sin. All sin is seriously for him. And so Christ Jesus came into the world. He lived a life of perfect obedience, perfect conformity to the law. He fulfilled all righteousness. And then, in obedience to the Father who had called him, 
in the words of the Apostle Peter, he took our sins in his body on the tree. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The awesomeness that on the cross he knew the darkness of being separated from the Father and taking the full wrath of God spiritually upon him. Not only the horrendous physical torment, but the separation from the Father. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The million hells that he went through as he experienced the wrath of God against sin. That is the message. And how is it communicated to us? Christ Jesus was brilliantly clear, explicit. He said the Holy Spirit will approve of righteousness, of judgment. The Holy Spirit will convict and approve. It's the Holy Spirit that shows us that we're sinners. It's the Holy Spirit reveals our own deadness to us. It's the Holy Spirit that shows us that we need a Savior because Christ only died for sinners. And then Christ made it abundantly clear how the redemption is applied. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And he gave the principle, what is born of the flesh is flesh. What is born of the spirit is spirit. The law of reproduction. Christ Jesus gave the principle behind this teaching. Not only the teaching, but underlined it with the principle. What is born of the flesh is flesh. What is born of the spirit is spirit. Later on, he was to say, it's the spirit that quickeneth the flesh, profiteth nothing. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. Showing that it is the Holy Spirit that directly in Christ convicts and regenerates. So that a man or a woman can believe directly on Christ Jesus and be born again. Christ Jesus showing brilliantly the work of the Holy Spirit and showing that the Holy Spirit is God and not under the control of any man. The Spirit lifts it where it wills and you know not where he's going to work because it's like the wind. It blows where it wishes. So it is with all who are born of the Spirit. Christ Jesus showing the power of the Holy Spirit that he can work where, when, and how he likes. Because it's the Spirit of the living God that directly applies Christ Jesus' salvation to us. And we thank the Lord for how brilliantly clear and precise is his teaching of how it is to be born again. Now, the Catholic Church does speak about the um, Holy Spirit, but the teaching is utterly different. 
utterly and entirely different. It speaks about the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is the power that comes through her seven physical sacraments. I'm reading from this book. It's called The Catechism of the Catholic Church. It has been a bestseller throughout the world in all different languages. It is the official first-hand authority of the Roman Catholic Church. Reading from paragraph 1129. The Church affirms that for believers the sacraments of the New Covenant are necessary for salvation. Sacramental grace is the grace of the Holy Spirit given by Christ and proper to each sacrament. To identify the Holy Spirit's power with the power that comes from seven physical signs is the uttermost example we could have of speaking against God. To say that your power is the Holy Spirit's power, that means the Holy Spirit is under the control of the church and her priests in particular. When I baptized about 30 babies every first Sunday, I was holding up a new creature that had been born again by the water and the words. When I decided not to baptize a baby, it wasn't baptized. When I gave absolution to countless people in the confession box, I said, I absolve you from all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I was giving forgiveness. But the power that I had was the Holy Spirit's power. That is the most difficult text to read because it's speaking exactly against the Holy Spirit. What the Scripture says is the unforgivable sin. You can speak against God and it's forgivable as such, but to speak directly against the Spirit who is the Spirit of truth and who convicts, reproves, who regenerates, to speak against the Holy Spirit is the unforgivable sin. And this is really sad. The Catholic Church goes far, uh, so far as to call in the Catechism paragraph 1091 it calls her sacraments God's masterpieces and she admits that they're visible signs that the seven physical things she says for example in paragraph 1131 uh, quotation these visible rites by which the sacraments are celebrated signify and make present the graces proper to each sacrament end of quotation these physical, visible signs make present the graces that they signify. So they claim to have power over God. And this is the aberration that is so deadly. Now the scripture gives a synopsis or a, you know, a real precise description of what salvation is and what it is not. The Apostle Paul, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, By grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. 
not of works lest anyone should boast. What it is, what it is not. When it comes to the negative, not of works. Now it is quite unbelievable, but that very word that is forbidden is the word that the Catholic Church uses, works. The same the official teaching about her sacraments. In the Council of Trent that is upheld in the present Catechism and in Vatican II documents in Denzinger number 851, the Catholic Church says the following words. If anyone shall say that by the said sacraments of the new law, grace is not conferred from the work which has been worked, ex opere operato, but that faith alone in the divine promise is sufficient to obtain grace, let him be anathema, that is eternally cursed. If you believe in the divine promise alone, you are eternally cursed by the Catholic Church. And they say it's from the work that has been worked. That is, they are claiming autonomous sacraments that are self-regulating. From the work worked. That means it's irrespective of the condition of the priest. The priest could be a horrendous sinner, a pedophile or whatever, and if he does the baptizing or the absolution, it still works because it, it is from the work worked. It's irrespective of the conditions of the person receiving it because it's from the work worked. In a word, it is automatic. An automatic working of what is called the grace of the Holy Spirit. This is really difficult, but it's got to be faced. Many evangelicals in their own time and famous names like Chuck Colson and Bill Bright who died recently in Campus Crusade, T.M. Moore, Timothy George, J.I. Packer, Oskinnis and on and on say that Catholics are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And these are the official teachings of the Catholic So these things have got to be faced. An example of how the work works, how things work automatically, is baptism. They say, for example, in the official teaching of baptism, I'll read the exact words, baptism by which men and women are freed from their sins are reborn as children of God is conferred validly only with washing with true water and with the required form of words. So this is the way men and women are reborn as children of God. And how? By true water and the required form of words. So you have real water and you have the right words and you have rebirth according to the Catholic Church. This is utterly against what Christ said. 
It is the spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. What is born of the flesh is flesh. And so from words and from real water comes out, they say, rebirth. That is utterly speaking against what Christ Jesus said. It is the Holy Spirit that gives new life. Christ summarized it beautifully. He said, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come on into condemnation, but is passed from death to life. As you believe, you pass from death to life by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts you. The Holy Spirit quickens you. And as you trust on Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit indwells in you, leads you, sanctifies you, and gives you a deep fellowship with God and with other believers. The work of a divine person to replace the work of the divine Holy Spirit by a ritual is not only speaking against the Holy Spirit, but it is soul-destroying. It is utterly soul-destroying because men and women and children are now not looking to Christ Jesus and now not looking to the divine Spirit to guide them and lead them, but they're looking to a ritual. And this is really, really sad. It is more sad if you read in the scripture what was the first big temptation given to mankind. It is Genesis and it was in chapter 3 and verse 5. What was Satan saying to Eve? He said, In the day ye eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall know and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. In the day that you eat thereof. So he was pointing to an inherent power in the eating. The day that you eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened. And ye shall be as gods. So there was a latent power, according to Satan, in the physical fruit and all it took was eating thereof. That was the very first temptation that was ever fostered on humankind and possibly the most deadly temptation to believe that a physical thing could do spiritual power this is the exact same thing as the Catholic Church is now doing in saying with the true water and the required form of words, men and women can be reborn. It's the same thing. Different uh, application, but the same principle that a physical thing or things can give life.
It is the Spirit that guides us into falsehood. The Spirit is indivisible, indestructible, and His power is God's power. And He is the one that glorifies Christ Jesus. And He is the one, as He convicts you, He exalts the person of Christ Jesus to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. God, who commanded the light to shine, has shone in your hearts to give you the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The divine work of the Holy Spirit. And that's the glory of who our God is. And that can never be replaced by any church or any system because it is a divine work revealing who Christ Jesus is. And there's no substitute for it. Now Christ Jesus was explicitly clear that we would know the normal Christian and that we would be absolutely clear who the normal Christian is. He gave the, the ground rule, as it were. He said, ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Good spiritual fruit shows the work of the Holy Spirit. And it shows the regeneration, the personal faith, the fellowship with God and sanctification after salvation as a person walks with God and fellowship in a Bible-believing church. By their fruit you shall know them. The fruits of the Spirit are seen as we see Christians being convicted and as they walk in the things of the Lord and as the Lord disciplines them and chastises them and leads them, we see the new creation that has come into existence. For Bible believers are a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It is the normal Christian life to sense the presence of the Lord in our midst and to really share Him deeply with one another. And then we see how abnormal it is. And I know I spent 48 years bowing down to statues and images, wearing miraculous medals, wearing other medallions, wearing the blue or the brown scapula, doing novenas to saints, calling up the dead, being in communion with the dead and different saints. We see how abnormal it is to put ashes on your forehead with some sort of a mystical sign on Ash Wednesday and palms behind your pictures in your houses and special lighted candles in your church before statues. All this stuff that goes on in Catholicism. The mysticism of direct contact with God and the multitude of apparitions that take place. 
all this drama and religiosity in the midst of pomp, ritual, ceremony, and wondrous music and stained glass windows. But all of that does not substitute for the person of the Holy Spirit. It becomes religion and binding and it becomes an oppression. It does not lead to truth. It leads to self-satisfaction that you have a form of godliness. And the sad thing is that you deny the power thereof. And this is difficult to speak of, but we've got to speak about it because this is where millions of precious people live. We're talking about the biggest group of people that call themselves Christians. So many people live here, and even people who don't practice still call themselves Roman Catholics. There's a a binding force even when people haven't gone to church for years or they only go on Easter and Christmas. There's this hold on them. So we have to we have to deal with it. And we have to bring in Christ's principle that by their fruit you shall know them. Because the Holy Spirit is the bond that unites us as true believers with Christ. And that bond the Holy Spirit is seen so it becomes evident. And one of the great evidence in the Christian community is a Christian pastor who stands up as a brother among brothers and sisters. Christ Jesus said, ye are all brethren, one is your Lord and Master. But there's one brother who stands up amongst the brothers to teach. He has more responsibility. And we respect him for his teaching office. But what is expected of him? What do we read about him in the pages of Scripture? He used to be the man of one wife. And the principle is given in Scripture, how can you, how can you serve the church of God if you do not know how to bring up your own children? First Timothy 3. The principle is given. And the Scripture is adamant that that marriage is honorable and the marriage bed is undefiled. The glory of the pastor as a servant of Christ and one who knows how to rule his own house and to be an example to other fathers. This is part of the fruitfulness by which we know true Christians if the pastor is according to the scripture, a man of one wife. In Catholicism, it is totally different because of the Vatican laws of celibacy. You cannot have a wife. It's forbidden by Catholic law. So clear in the Bible, forbidden. That is totally abnormal. But what are the results of these abnormal laws? The Catholic web pages give you the victim's uh, uh, analysis. They have done analysis, and it is explicitly stated, and this is from Catholic sources, 
well-informed victims advocacy groups in the United States estimate that between 2,000 and 4,000 abusive priests in America at this time are a number between 4 and 8 percent of the 48,000 U.S. priests. If true, this would reflect an incidence of abuse alarmingly above that of the general population. It is way above the ordinary average amongst ordinary people who are not Christian or any religion. And so this shows how abnormal is the Catholic priesthood. From Catholic sources too, we have that in the last 50 years of clerics and nuns, that 4,500 clerics and nuns, have abused over 11,000 children going into the, from children into teenagers. That is quite, quite difficult. And I say this with great pain because it's all my background and my love is for Catholic people. And it's with great pain that we admit that this is not normal Christian life in ministry. It is quite abnormal and it should melt your heart to reach out to men who are bound in the priesthood and women who are bound in the convent and often in desperate pain because it's practically impossible to get out because of the rigors of Catholic law and what is imposed on them and so we have, we have to sense that there's something totally abnormal. And any precious Catholic person here or listening, to have the honesty to look and see that this is not normal Christianity. And to ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten you and show you what is the normal Christian life? What is normal life in the Lord? What is life in Christ Jesus? And what is the work of the Holy Spirit that I may know the eternal life that Christ Jesus spoke about and that is right through the Gospel of John and in the letters of John. What is eternal life? You should have the honesty to desire this and to know that the Holy Spirit is true and is truth and that he continues to call unto himself. Now it is difficult to speak about these things but we I've got to speak about them and we've got to address the, the, the difficulty that's before us and this, the abnormality of what is lying before our face, that we have a system that teaches things that are totally not scriptural and totally actually negated by the Word of God as the Word of God 
chose the truth. One of the more difficult things in my life as a priest was the teaching of the Catholic message to dying people. I had memorized from a young boy the teaching of the famous Pope after the war, Pius XII. I had memorized his words and I still know them by heart. He said, Great mystery this and source of unending contemplation that the salvation of many should depend on the prayers and sacrifices of the members of the mystical body of Christ offered for this intention. That sacrifice and prayer can save somebody. When I was preparing for the priesthood, the famous Archbishop Finbar Ryan came from Trinidad, where I was actually going to serve as a priest for 21 years. But I was taken aback by him and his gown and, you know, the pomp and style of his person. And then he came to talk to us, a group of 21 students, and he said, Christ Jesus gave his blood for salvation. And I want you to picture as if it were Christ Jesus' blood in this cup, and he held up an imaginary cup. And he said, you also must pour your blood into this cup. You must share your sufferings with him so that the world may be saved. You must be dedicated to suffering so that people can be filled with sanctifying grace and die in the state of sanctifying grace so they may go to purgatory and then to heaven. And he said it really dramatically and it really resonated within me. I wanted to suffer and do penance. It was what the Pope said and what this Archbishop said. And then later on as reading Catholic books, the official teaching of the church in what is recognized as true apparitions in the Catholic Church, Fatima. The Pope has actually put the bullet which he was shot into the crown of Mary at Fatima. He has authenticated Fatima. What is Fatima's message? Many souls go to hell because there's nobody to pray or do penance for them. I lived that message as a priest. It was part of who I was. I wanted to suffer for my sins and to suffer for the sins of the world. Now, some of the saddest things I did was to kneel beside beds of dying people. I kept journals over the years for the last 14 years of my priesthood and I would write in the journals different episodes of how I knelt beside the bed of dying people. I had about 200 different cases. Of course, it was many hundreds of people I was with when they were dying. And I would kneel beside the dying person and I would say into their ear, offer your sufferings with Christ's sufferings, your blood with his blood, so that you may be saved and others may be saved. I would whisper the message of Satan into the ears of the dying 
and that is as sad as you can get. I would put the holy oils on their forehead. May the Lord who saves you, may the Lord raise you up and save you. I would say the official words and then put the holy oils on their forehead and on the back of their hands. It was a shock to me when I did all the rituals and said all these words that some of them would die cursing God. And I was shocked because I'd heard confession and I'd done all the rituals. And I was shocked at times. But in coming to salvation, when I read in the scripture, not of works, when I read that it says, when he had by himself purged our sins, that down at the right hand of the majesty and high, not of the works of righteousness which we have done, but by his mercy he saved us, that it's all Christ Jesus' work, and to teach that it is our work is the damning lie of Satan. that this would melt your heart and that this would be a message that we would give to evangelicals who are running into the arms of Rome. That they would see the official teachings of the Catholic Church and that the official teaching comes diametrically in opposition to what the Bible would say so that we would know what true life is and that we would know that that life is in a person and not in any system that the life is in a person Christ Jesus the Lord I thank the Lord that when he convicts by the Holy Spirit and we are accepted into Christ and born again that he washes away all our sins because some of these sins in which I gave a wrong message even though I did it sincerely even to the dying and I gave a wrong message to children and I gave a wrong message to teenagers and I did it for 21 years I thank God that he washes away all our sins and it is my prayer that as I share with you that the Lord would use these memories that I bring back and the years of churning out the sacraments, that the Lord would use this now to free many and to bring many souls unto himself, that the Lord saves those who are weak so that he may exalt his grace and that the Lord would truly be exalted, that the Lord would truly be magnified in our midst and before our very eyes. The promise of our time is that we shall see the King in all his glory. That is the promise given in the Scriptures. We shall see the King in all his glory. And this is my heart's desire, that we would see Christ Jesus high lifted up and exalted the wonder of who Christ Jesus is in the pages of Scripture, his relationship to the Father, beautifully expressed at the very beginning of the epistle to the Hebrews, who being the brightness of his glory and the expression,
express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down the majesty on high. The brightness of the Father's glory. He is the express image of the Father. True God of true God. Upholding all things by the by the strength of his power. Look out at springtime as we're now experiencing. See the blossoms. See the wonder of creation open up before your eyes as you get up in the morning. As you drive along the interstate, you see the trees, the blossoms, the tulips. Christ Jesus upholds all of them, all of creation. In him all things consist. the wonder of our Christ Jesus, the creator and of the upholder of the universe and of planet Earth where we live, the glory, majesty of who he is. And look up at the stars at night. He upholds all things by the word of his power. Now this one, equal with the Father, the radiance of the Father's glory, when he had by himself purged the things, by himself purged our sins sat down at the right hand of the majesty and high this is to see the king in all his glory we're talking about the glorious Christ Jesus he is in heaven now he is not in any piece of bread like we said he was physically in the bread when he comes back, he will come back and he will be seen as the lightning from one end, the east to the west. He does not come back in an animate form of bread and wine. He is the glorious Christ in heaven. And what is the word of the scriptures? For example, out of the mouth of the Apostle Paul. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy household. A direct message to look to him. The word in Hebrews, looking to Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. We look to the person. That is to behold the king in all his glory, in all his majesty. And it is not a request. When the Jews came to Christ Jesus and said, What must we do that we may do the work of God? He looked at them and said, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he has sent. You believe on the person whom the Father has sent. The direct message of the scripture that you personally Look and trust on Christ Jesus and that you know eternal life. Christ Jesus said, This is eternal life, that they may know thee, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. That is the normal Christian life. And that is, in the words of the Apostle Peter, the joy unspeakable and full of glory. It is the joy that we have so that even when we are 
under heaviness, when we're under difficulties, we have this joy unspeakable and full of glory. The scripture is precise about the promise. And the spirit and the bride say, Come, let him that heareth say, Come. Let him that is at thirst come. Whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Are you a thirst? Do you sense an emptiness? Do you sense a vacuum? All that are a thirst. And if you don't, cry out to the very Spirit of the living God, quicken me, open my eyes, that I may see the Lord, and that I may see that I am dead in trespasses and sins. It is quite difficult, but I've got to say this, and it's painful. The most difficult thing to repent of is religion. It is the most difficult thing that binds the cords of our heart, our mind, our emotions, our culture. I know that in my own life, it was my culture. It was our songs. It was our tradition. It was our warfare as we fought the British. It was all for Catholicism, for the freedom of the nation. We had songs that we sang in the Gaelic language, we were singing of the beautiful woman, but that typified the nation, the Catholic nation, in its stand against biblical faith to uphold the teaching of the Pope and the Church. That was the tradition I was brought up in. It is most difficult to leave off religion, but the Spirit of the living God is the power that we look to, and He can free us. If the truth shall set you free, you shall be free indeed, the Lord says. And He had a strong word for those bound by religion. He said to the Pharisees who were very much like the Catholics because they upheld tradition as equal to the written word of God and they tried to establish their own righteousness. They had their own self-righteousness that they looked to instead of the righteousness which is of faith from God. And what did Christ Jesus say to them? He said, if you remain in your traditions, you will die in your sins. That is difficult. That is painful. There was a devout man back in Portland, Oregon, where I lived for over 11 years, and he said to me, I've always been Catholic. I was born Catholic. I will die Catholic. I said, Mr. Bartling, you are deep in Catholicism. You won't listen to what I say. If you remain in your tradition, you'll die in your sins. And he turned away. He was really hurt. His son called me and said, my dad is hurting. Sometimes he doesn't sleep at night. And I said, I don't want to hurt him, but I'm really happy that he's hurting because of the word. It was just a treasure to me that as he was dying, 
I was called and I was there as he trusted in Christ alone and to see the tear of joy coming from his left eye close to death was just a joy to me I know it was a difficult word but I tried to say it in love as I say it again tonight and I say it to a precious listener or viewer if you remain in your traditions you will die in your sins it's that simple Christ Jesus says things clearly he is the most kind loving compassionate savior that has been given to us and the example this is what he said because he realized that religion binds with cords around the mind and the heart but the spirit of the living God sets you free so it is to know that we can be free indeed to know that we can experience this Holy Spirit that Christ spoke about that the Spirit gives life we can experience this Holy Spirit by looking to Christ Jesus and looking to the Holy Spirit it is deeply touching and it is it is a joy to me to have to share with many who have um, come out of Catholicism I know very many precious nuns just last year in Ireland I met Peggy O'Neill she has written her testimony it's on our webpage she says for 50 years I did not hear the gospel and then she speaks about the righteousness of Christ and she talks about Romans chapter 3 but now the righteousness of God is manifest being witnessed by the law and the prophets even the righteousness of God which is by faith of Christ Jesus unto all them that believe there is no difference for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God God's righteousness in Christ is manifest it is seen the Lord has been exalted before mankind it is the perfect life and it is the perfect sacrifice and it is now manifest and that's what is before you the king in all his glory believe on him and you will have that eternal life and you will have that ability to commune with your God in thanksgiving and praise and to do the good works that he has ordained that you should walk in them as thanksgiving to him not to merit or earn anything but as thanksgiving to the Lord of Lords tonight I have revealed my heart and soul to you and I just ask that you in turn those who are believers would share with precious Catholics and one dear Catholic person here I say to you if you're here look unto the Lord and any viewer or listener look unto the Lord he is true and he is faithful 
and all that come to me I will receive, he said. All that have given to him he will receive. He will receive you and you will have forever that eternal life. And to him be praise, glory, worship and honor now and forevermore. Amen and amen. Praise God and thank you. For listening, if the Lord touches you, we'd love to hear from you. Visit our website at www.bereanbeacon.org. Goodbye and God bless you.